Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor podcast with me, your host, uh, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. Join me and my guests today as we talk about high performance, uh, dreaming, the importance of dreaming big, the importance of being a leader in our respective communities. She is a six-time uh, world champion and two-time member of the U.S. Women's Hockey Olympic team. She is a gold medalist in Pyeongchang in 2018 and a silver medal in 2014 in Sochi, which we don't uh, talk about. But she is an exceptional individual, someone I've known uh, as a friend for a long time. I'm honored to have her on today. I'm super excited about my conversation today with Kendall Coyne Schofield. Let's do this. Kendall, uh, thank you for joining me today. I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you. Just We grew up in a, a lot of the same ranks in, in Arctic, you know, Ice Arena down in Orland Park where both of our careers, you know, sort of began. Uh, you were always a part of that 92 Chicago chill group as I was growing up, which had some players I looked up to and yourself and Christian George and I think it was Tim Schultz, right? That was Schultz's first name? Mm-hmm. Who else was on that team? Oh, wait. Winkler uh, was playing up back then, Derek Winkler. Yeah, Derek Schultz. Derek Schultz, that was it. Tim Schultz is a CCM rep that I'm thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I, that's what I, I, I know Derek Tim Schultz. Schultz I know Tim Schultz as well. Um, um, but so I, yeah. I uh, you know, grew up going to watch some some big games. You versus like the '92 Mission with T.J. Tynan and Robbie Russo. Um, you know, what was your development like? You know, because I, I read through a little bit of your your bio and your website. And I've listened to, you know, we've been friends a long time. So I'm decently familiar, you know, with your story. And it's interesting. You talk about, you know, being a girl in hockey, a lot of kids at school sort of didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I even felt that way as a male hockey player. Like I felt like hockey didn't get big on the South side where we grew up until really the Hawks got really good in, you know, the mid to late 2000s. And then everyone was asking me all of a sudden, hey, you know, would you watch the game last night? And, you know, it, it was like overnight. It's like, hey, I've been the hockey player at school since I was six, but glad you guys recognize what, what a great sport we have. Um, you know, what, what was your childhood development like, uh, you know, on the south side in Orland Park? Yeah, I think regardless of gender, mine was very similar to yours growing up uh, in school, playing a sport that most kids didn't play and most kids didn't understand. And a lot of that is due to the lack of visibility that hockey had in the Chicago and Chicagoland area. As we know, uh, the Blackhawks games weren't on television, you know, in the 90s, um, early 2000s when we were a kid. It wasn't until 2007 um, when the Blackhawks games started to be on TV and then kids started watching it. And I started, I entered high school uh, right around that time. And of course, you know, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves coming to Chicago enlightened the city of hockey. And um, I, I remember exactly what you just, uh, what you just explained. Too, it was being, almost overnight, right? It, like, yeah, but it was overnight, but then going to school and people, you know, talking about a hockey game, I was so confused. I'm like, yeah, you know, hockey's been, I've been, been a part of my life for the last 15 years. And here we are talking about it and talking about the Blackhawks. And then obviously they won in 2010 and everyone was so excited. Um, but it really, it really felt like I lived in my own world 
for a lot of my childhood because I would go to school. I would, you know, be the tomboy playing Nerf football and doing everything that most of the girls weren't doing. And then I would get home from school and I would get ready to go to hockey. And most girls were definitely not doing that. And even boys, you know, in our hometown, they weren't playing hockey. It was definitely a rarity. So um, I felt oftentimes I was in my own world and, you know, people would write their school projects about their baseball team and, and their basketball teams and their football teams. And I would write about my hockey team and our travel that we would do and everyone would be like you do what and what's the Chicago chill and I remember when I switched the Chicago mission people are like wait what you're on a mission to do what and what what, <laughs> what, what, what is this what is oh, this and you know I explained cool. to them like this is travel hockey and there were a few girls that were playing travel volleyball and I played travel softball as well so I could connect with them and compare our schedules and you know what our goals were and it definitely was to reach the pinnacle of the sport but uh it was it was different growing up because not many people knew about hockey yeah when i um when i uh you know it's interesting you say that because when i grew up like i was always looking for like that best friend to to practice with Uh, like i always just wanted you know to have that sense of community around the sport uh and it wasn't until like i would travel to Toronto, for example, where like it used to show its face on Sports Center. You'd watch the top 10 and like you'd get like a, an Ovechkin highlight like once every two weeks on like the top 10 versus like you'd go up, you know, I'd be in my hotel room up in, you know, whatever uh, Marriott up in Toronto and it'd be like seven out of the top 10 would be hockey plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess I, I guess I grew to, to be jealous of it and, you know, where I want to go with this is what the power of there's, there's two things when I hear your story and I've heard, we've talked about it over, you know, dinner and, and uh, just knowing each other. One is the power of role model, you know, with, with Cammy Granado and, and what Cammy uh, really allowed you to know that you could go on to do. And the other element, and I think it's something that's close to the development of both of our careers is the element of, and the, the relationship we have with sacrifice. And you're someone I really look up to in that I feel you always work hard when you should and you're you're feeling like you're ready to, uh, like you have the energy to, you woke up on the right side of the bed and all that. But you also have a grittiness to yourself that um, when you don't want to do the work, you still show up. Like how, where did that come from and how did you develop that, that resiliency, that fortitude growing up? Yeah, I think to go back to your first question, your first point, uh, Billie Jean King says it better than anybody. You need to see it to be it. And I remember growing up wanting to be Chris Chelios and wanting to be on the Blackhawks. And I wore number seven and all my OPIA Orland Park yep. Ice Arena jerseys. And my softball number was seven and I was seven for Chris Chelios. And then I met Cami Granado when I was seven and it was quite young. But at that time I was like, I want to be her. Okay. So my goal is to go to the Olympics to win a gold medal. And that's what girls win gold medals and boys win Stanley cups. And I had this visual by seeing her and holding her gold medal that that's the route that I want to go on. And it's not like I could relate this goal to many people in school or talk about it because a lot of people didn't get it. A lot of people were telling me, well, girls don't even belong in hockey. So, you know, good luck, you know, go do something that normal girls do. And so I think the the power of a role model is extremely important. I think the power of visibility is even more important because mm-hmm. you need to see it to be it. And I'm sure you saw a lot more hockey players that looked like you growing up than I saw looked like me. However, I never really saw gender as a kid. And if I did see gender as a kid, I don't think I would still be in this game because there were a lot of 
unfortunately parents that you know would come up to my parents and say that why are you doing this to her she why should why is she playing hockey she shouldn't she should go play sports that normal girls play why are you doing this to her and my my poor parents took it so much and it was more like this is what she wants to do we're not making her do this and and leading into your second point with hard work that's you know, what has helped me become the person I am today is my parents never once made me work hard. They never once made me get up to go to hockey. They never once made me get up to go do push-ups and sit-ups in my basement when, you know, I was 12 years old and I didn't know how to work out. It was, you know, the, the hard work and sacrifice that I saw them make to allow me to play sports mm-hmm. instilled that in me. Well, if they're doing all that they can do that I can play sports, I put, I better put the exact same amount of energy and sacrifice into what I'm doing. And, you know, that still holds true to this day. And, and I'm very grateful for the sacrifices that they made to allow me to play hockey and play softball and basketball and track and field and, and all the sports I asked to play growing yeah. up. And, you know, I, I, I think that's so important. I tell young kids every day that, you know, you can control your attitude and you can control your effort. And there's no excuses for, you know, not being able to control those. And th- those are two things I focus on every single day. Yeah. When I was growing up, there were two things that made me pop on a bed as a kid. One was my mom would say, SpongeBob's coming on. You're going to miss it. And the other one was, hey, you better get up if we want to make it to hockey practice on time. You know, my dad would take me up to dairy and ice rink and, and, you know, I do practice and, and skating work before school and that. And, you know, going back to Orland Park Ice Arena, like, I got to say, like, rest in peace to their Oreo shake before it became Arctic Ice Arena. Their Oreo shake, like, practice and an Oreo shake, that was my childhood. Um, Mine you know, I, was I, I the red it. and the blue slushies. <laughs> the the yep. red and blue. And it was like, what are you feeling today, red or blue? It's a shame they made you pick. You know, the, they can always blend them. Yeah, but, I don't know. And, and, you know, I think that's, you know, you talk about respect for your family and that, that reverence for your parents, you know, sacrifice and all that they did, all the mountains they moved growing up. You know, hockey has this tradition of being such a family-based sport where it does require, you know, all members of the family to do their best to support the game. You know, in my family, we had three boys that played and I know my mom and dad, you know, worked very hard. There's a lot of communication to get us, you know, to and from games. What does, you know, hockey mean, um, you know, to your family and how, I I mean, your parents and your family in general must be so proud of the way that you've rewarded them, um, you know, with, with your work ethic over the years. Yeah, I think all sports, not just hockey, but I think sports brings us together. And I think, you know, during these challenging times, it's evident that we're all missing sports because whether it's it brings us together to watch our favorite team play or it brings us together to to watch one of our loved ones play, sports brings people together and celebrates, you know, the sport and and the people within it in such a magnificent way. And I think we're all missing that right now. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, you know, accomplishing my dreams of going to the Olympic Games really made all of the sacrifice worth it. And I remember back in 2014, when we were in Sochi, uh, the moment that our coach allowed us to see our family for the first time after a game. And I saw my two brothers, my sister and my mom and my dad. And for me, that was like the aha moment. That was the moment that, you know, I'm sure you dream about raising that Stanley Cup over your head. That was it for me because we all made it, you know, I'm the one on the ice. I'm the one wearing the Jersey. I'm the one people see and talk about, but you know what? We all did it and we did it together. And and to be on those grounds in Sochi, you know, right after the game, I was like, 
you guys, we did it. Like we, we did it. And, you know, co coming away from the Sochi games, obviously we didn't accomplish our goal of winning a gold medal, but um, that was really the moment that I felt like all the sacrifice, the heartbreak, the ups, the downs, the, the road trips, the broken down cars, the, the, you know, tough school assignments and, and all of the moments that no one got but us, we finally did it. And we finally, it was finally all worth it because as you know, growing up in, in the hockey world, not many people understand the true sacrifice that goes into making it to the pinnacle of the sport. And, um, you know, you do it as, as a family and, and we did it. And so that was really special. Yeah. I think in my career, that moment was really the NHL draft. That was kind of like the handing off of my parents. You know, I, I, you know, shook my dad's hand. I hugged my mom and, and I just remember feeling like this, this, you know, proudness that we had gotten this far, but I, but also like an, an overwhelming, like amount of responsibility, like, okay, it's my show now. Like my parents have done all they can to get me to this moment. Um, you know, and now my name's in the hat. It's, it's my time to, to, you know, run with the opportunities I may or may not get, you know, may or may not earn over the next coming years. But, you know, let's start with the, the heartbreak in Sochi. So you guys take silver there. You know, how hard was that loss in Sochi and how did it, you know, spoiler alert, you do go on to win in Pyeongchang mm -hmm. and, you know, how did, you know, the 2014 Olympics and of course there are world championships and a whole lot of hockey played in between there. So I don't want to, you know, graze over that, but, uh, how, what lessons did you take from 2014 that made you a more veteran, more experienced player, you know, come 2018? Yeah, I think, uh, there's no better experience that than a heartbreak and there's no better learning moment than a heartbreak uh we've all been you know you and i've been playing hockey for a very long time three minutes and 36 seconds left to go in a gold medal game a stanley cup final whatever it might be uh two gold lead what are you telling yourself we got this we got yeah. this you know this isn't this isn't the bag we just have to shut them down trap it you know get the puck deep you know, play it safe and, and the, the game's ours. And, you know, that's the exact opposite of what happened. And so I think, you know, being young and I remember going to the Olympics and your my eyes are wide open and I'm just so excited to be there. I'm taking everything in, whether it's the clothes that we got, it's seeing all the other countries, learning all the other athletes stories and just being in awe of the moment. And, and sometimes that hurts you, sometimes that helps you. And I think, yeah. you know, the first time going through it, I didn't, do a, a good enough job providing that balance for myself. And I think you have to learn, lean on the veterans who have been there. And that's something I could have done a little bit better is, you know, ask them more questions and ask them for more guidance while being there. Um, but, you know, four years later, going into going into Pyeongchang, I, I had a business mindset. My eyes were not wide open anymore. I knew exactly what to expect. Game I knew, on, yeah. yeah, I knew what to, I knew the, you know, the amount of clothes that we're getting, what, what it feels like to be there, you know, what, what the process is like, because there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of media, there's a lot of attention on, and, and you have, and while there's a lot of attention on a, a lot, your attention is, is singular. It's to win a gold medal. And so you have to take that attention and, and shrink it to, to what your goal is. And so um, going into the games the second time, I actually enjoyed it more <laughs> because I knew what to expect. I knew how to enjoy it. And obviously coming away with a gold medal makes it that much sweeter. <laughs> yeah. How did you... How did you apply some of those lessons? So you knew, you know, as a younger player, because that's something I did earlier in my career was, right, was I tried to, you know, take mental note of of whether it was like ways I was treating the locker room or just, you know, when I was traded. Uh, for, for example, when I was traded, I remember 
just how warm everyone was in welcoming me to the Toronto Maple Leafs, the first time I was ever moved. And I just, I checked to myself, like, if, if I'm ever on a team and a player's traded, I don't care what my role is on that team, I'm going to text that player and, you know, I'm going to have uh, my wife Lexi reach out to their, you know, significant other, um, if they have one, to, to welcome them to the organization because that's such a warm feeling, you know, and it's a, it's a nerve-wracking thing walking into a new room. So how did you take some of those lessons as a leader and try to, you know, you can't make someone, you can take a horse to water and you can't make it drink, but like, you know, so it, maybe the younger players on your team in Pyeongchang weren't always receptive to what you had to say, but how did you try to help lead them given, you know, your leadership role on that team? Yeah, we had a really special group in Pyeongchang. And I think, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you've been there. And I think that was what was so special about our group that our, if you want to call them younger players, I wouldn't really call them younger players. I would call them players who haven't been to the Olympic Games before, mm -hmm. but have a ton of international experience. They haven't lost. They haven't felt the heartbreak of losing a gold medal. And for us that did feel that, we needed to lean on their confidence and lean on, you know, their successes because they don't know what it's like. They don't have that baggage of, you know, sitting in that room four years prior and crying their eyes out and, and seeing their dreams tarnish when after hitting a post and giving up a two goal lead, mm -hmm. you know, they, they don't have that. And so it was almost like, you know, we, we were leaning on them. They were leaning on us and we had a, we just had a dynamic group. And I think the key to success in big moments, especially big moments that, you know, you look forward to every four years, which, which is challenging in itself. And you want to play a perfect game because you wait so long for this moment. It's not letting the moment get too big, but also don't, don't let the moment get the best of you either. And I think we all stuck to our strengths. We all stuck to our roles as players and we put that together. And I, I think that game is evidence of that when you think of you know we played every single ounce of hockey that the olympics could have given us in that <laughs> moment and you know when you look at jocelyn's shootout move to maddie's mm -hmm. final save i mean you know top to bottom everyone had a role on that team and everyone did their role and as you know that's that's how you win championships what do you remember most from that tournament like what's the uh, one when you're really sitting at home and you, know, you take a look over wherever you keep your medal your gold medal like what's the first memory, your, your brightest memory that comes from that tournament? Uh, I'd have to be the celebration after, you know, j running off the bench, throwing your, your sticks and your gloves in the air and, you know, dogpiling each other. I always go last if there's a dogpile. It's <laughs> yeah. not 5-2, yeah, yeah. undersized, you don't want to be first. Um, but I think it's, you know, we, you always hear these kind of stories, but really those are the those are the scenarios you play out in your head as a kid, whether you just won your street hockey game or you won Ghost in the Graveyard, you're throwing your arms up in the air, you're so excited. And and to finally have that feeling in that moment, I think was is something that I'll never forget. And I always think about this, you work a lifetime for those 30 seconds yeah. and uh, they're the most magical 30 seconds. And I think, especially for for me as an Olympic athlete, and I think for a lot of Olympic athletes, the, the big moment that really hits you that you know you you did it is when you hear your national anthem and you see your flag being raised higher than everybody else's and you know that's our Stanley Cup moment it's being locked arm in arm hearing the national anthem seeing your flag raised higher than everybody else and and belting it out together uh that that's that's the memory what are you thinking about as that flag goes up we represented our country the best to our ability and, and we're coming home on top and i think after seeing, you know, Sochi to, to Korea, I think to, you know, 
pretty quickly you realize how many more people this is going to impact than yourself and this team. And there's going to be another team standing locked arm in arm, just like we were hopefully not 20 years down the line, like we had in between 98 and 20, yeah. in 2018. But um, you're so excited for the next group who was inspired by our group to do it. How, how special was it? Now, I, I want to talk about this because you and your husband, Michael Schofield. So Michael, uh, for a little background, Michael is a guard uh, in the National Football League. He was a uh, super, I almost said Stanley Cup champion, Super Bowl champion with the Denver Broncos. Um, you got to witness Michael win a Super Bowl and Michael got to witness you win a gold medal. What have, and I don't want to make you speak for him, but what have you guys learned about each other in that championship pursuit? Because that is so special, I, I imagine, to share with your loved one. It it was very, very special. And, you know, you think about your childhood dreams, and we had these dreams before we knew each other. Mm -hmm. But we know what it's like to have a dream and to set a goal to accomplish that dream. And to accomplish it is something special. But then to do it with each other by by our sides is even is even more special, you know, just as special as having our family there as well. But I remember 2014, you know, the heartbreak that that I encountered two years later, I'm sitting in the stands at Levi Stadium watching him mm. win the Super Bowl. And I don't know how much I watched because I was so nervous, closing my eyes, jumping <laughs> up and down. But I just remember, you know, not wishing that feeling upon anybody, knowing how hard he worked, knowing, you know, his dream is right in front of him. It's 60 minutes away. And you know, I, I know the pain that, that losing, you know, in this moment has on you. And so I just, I just didn't wish that upon him. So I was so nervous. And so to see him accomplish his dream of winning a Super Bowl, uh, in 2016, and then two years later, you know, I use that as motivation going into the Olympics because I was able to be a part of that celebration with him and live vicariously through that moment with him and how cool that was. Flow Rider came to their, um, <laughs> post-game celebration. We didn't get that in Pyeongchang. However, it was it was just magnificent. And so, you know, two years later, I, I wanted that feeling. I wanted that feeling for, our, for my teammates and I. I wanted that feeling for our country, for USA Hockey. And so uh, I definitely use it as motivation and um, to have him there. I don't, I don't know if people saw it live or seen the picture since, but he, he was able to get on the ice and just lifted me over his head. And it was just, it was a really, really special moment. Well, he just, I think, wanted to give, you know, uh, have the same picture for when you lifted him up after the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> but possibly. We, we, Kendall, Lexi, and I went to dinner last year after one of the Chicago Pro Hockey League games. And, like, I I was worried for my fingers with Michael. I was, I was, you know, I got written down on one of my questions here. I am in still pursuit of a Traeger after uh, Michael Schofield, you know, having raved about his experience with his. And, you know, for when we get to dinner, like how many slabs of ribs do you think we need between the four of us to Let's feed Let's just them? put it this way. Him, his brother, and I had dinner last night and there were three slabs of ribs. Done. Not a chance. Unbelievable. His brother was also an offensive lineman, though. Yeah, yeah. They know <laughs> monsters. A couple monsters in that family. Um, you know, so you, you talk about the skill set that you learn of, of being able to sort of uh, compartmentalize, right? Like, what am I enjoying versus what am I focusing on, you know, come Olympic time? Uh, what are some like specific words or like practices that you use pre-game in the Olympics to really sort of hone in those nerves and to, to block out the noise? Because there is a lot of noise in international tournaments. You know, I, I've, I haven't played in, in any, uh, you know, 
to the level that you have, but you know, in the under 18s and things like that, there's just, there's a lot of pressure. You want to represent your logo well. There's a certain nerve uh, that comes over you. Even when you put on that red, white, and blue sweater, you know, you just get excited seeing your name on the back and your country's logo on the front. Um, you know, what like specifically do you use to laser income game time? Uh, I think, you know, especially with the Olympic Games, it's something that you look forward to. And fortunately, it's every four years. We want an environment like that for women's hockey every single day. Mm -hmm. However, it is every four years. And and like I said before, you just want it to go so well because you've worked so hard, you know, for these three weeks, you know, for four years in between each Olympic cycle. And so I think you have to go back to the basics. You have to go back to, you know, you've been playing this game for how long and, and keep it simple, keep it light, keep it fun and rely on your strengths. You, you know, your role up to that point, Mm -hmm. if you know, on your team and you can't change your role because the stakes are higher. You have to stick to that, stick to that role, stick to your strengths, stick to your team strengths. And I think that, you know, that's what we, we did really well. And I, and I think too, when, when the stakes are high, you can't let the highs get too high and you can't let the lows get too low. And you have to keep that middle ground and, and keep that middle ground not only on the ice, but in your head as well. Well, and as we saw, I mean, it's, it's you talk about playing your strengths, which is something that I think as a young athlete, um, particularly for me as a young professional, I don't, I don't know if it's something I did well enough. I think I was very aware of, you know, coming into the National Hockey League, you know, where I was a little bit lagging behind. Um, and I didn't always play to my strengths, your strengths, you know, as demonstrated in San Jose at the NHL all-star weekend, like you're a fantastic, you know, skater. Right. And, um, you know, take us through, I want to know what the process was, uh, for how that came to be. Cause I know Nate McKinnon goes, you know, isn't going to skate. There's, there's a discussion about that, but how do, how does your phone ring? How do, how are you, you know, alerted to what, what's going to transpire here in the next 24 hours. Yeah. So 24 hours before I, I landed in San Jose, I went right from the airport to the SAP center. Um, myself, along with the three other women, we got on the ice with a group of people to rehearse all of the events that were going to take place on Saturday night. And so with speed being my asset and I knew I wasn't skating, I, I wanted to do the fastest skater competition. And so I literally got to the rink and had about five minutes to get my gear on and get on the ice. And because they were about to wrap up the fastest skater because mm-hmm. it's first uh, for the rehearsal. And so I got on the ice and Patrick Burke was out there uh, taking charge of things. And, and he goes, you ready to go? I was like, yep. If I pull my groin, if I pull my yeah, groin, yeah. you know, I just, I just went after it. And so I, I did the, I did the, uh, skate and I don't recall my time. Uh, but little did I know, you know, Patrick, um, had this plan, you know, he had, he's had my time. Nathan McKinnon wasn't skating and he took my time, um, you know, to commissioner Bettman that night. And, you know, the plan started to be put in place. Little did I know I, I went home that night. Like I was going to be demonstrating the accuracy shooting competition, uh, as originally scheduled. And, uh, sure enough, the morning happened. We had, you know, a few activities to do. And, um, I was, just in my room and my phone rang and it was Patrick Burke. And he said, you're going to be the first woman to compete in the NHL all-star skills competition. <laughs> and I just took a deep breath and almost fell on the floor. And I said, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, and you know, ecstatic in that moment, I, I hung up and I called my parents. I called my mom. My dad doesn't answer his phone very much. So I, he's really bad with his cell phone. So I said, tell dad, uh, I called my husband and he, 
initially looked at see if he could get there in time because he was in Chicago and, um, you know, it was impossible to get there with four hours notice from Chicago to San Jose. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and then I called my best friend. I said, you guys might want to watch this tonight. It's going to be pretty cool. And um, so the Colorado Avalanche tweeted at me and asked if I would fulfill Nathan's spot. And I said, I'll get to the rink as fast as I can, pun intended. Mm -hmm. And and then I got to the rink and, you know, it was an, it was a media frenzy. There was a lot going on because the announcement was just made. So it was really special to to be able to be a part of that moment beforehand. And then I remember it was like 15 minutes before the event was about to start and I wasn't in my locker room yet. So I was like, I kind of need to get ready. Um, and I went out for warmups, which was really cool for me. Um, I got to shoot on Henrik Lundqvist, which I know is normal to you. But for me, it was just, it was so cool. I was like, just don't hit him in the head or all of New York will hate you. <laughs> like, so I just whiffed one in there and I didn't even need to shoot pucks. I was skating. So I just, you know, was doing a couple hard laps and just, just, just really taking in the moment because it was it was incredible. And then, um, went back in, they, they cut the ice and, uh, it was go time. First event, fastest skater, first skater was me. <laughs> I mean, to make you go first is just cruel too. Like that. Ah, oh, what was, you know, as you told the line, no helmet remind you, like, mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody says. If I, you know, if you've got to do a fastest lap with no helmet in front of all the NHL all-stars, like, that'll make just about any player that's not involved period of any level of any gender, you know, that'll, that's nerve wracking. Well, um, I think not, I think not having a helmet on, I mean, of course we're always worried about safety and you know, the safety of the players skating, but I think me not having a helmet helmet on actually really opened the eyes to a lot of people because a lot of people haven't seen a ponytail in hockey equipment before as scary as that is to say in 2020, but you know, people seeing, you know, my hair come out of, come out of, you know, my Jersey, like it did. And, you know, being feminine, like I am, it was, it was different. Well, that, you know, that moment to me, you've always been, um, you know, a, a women's hockey star, really, you've been a part of USA hockey, you know, for a long time, being a two-time Olympian, you're clearly, um, you know, at the top of, of the women's game. But after that lap, like how did your life change? Cause from afar, it really looked like your sense of mission and your ownership of the torch to further the women's game really took off. Yeah, I think from from that moment, uh, there, people started recognizing the women's game. They started recognizing the women's <laughs> game for skill, for talent, for speed, for what it was, not for a game lesser than the, the men's game. And it provided a platform, not only for me, but for a lot of people in the women's game to, to speak up for what we're trying to create, what we're trying to instill in the women's game and what we're trying to change because a lot of people don't really understand what our life is like. You know, that moment was incredible. And there were all these young hockey players, girls and boys that were messing me, whether it was through emails or social or whatever, or letters in the mail saying they skated their lap, they told me their times, and they told me they wanted to participate in the NHL All-Star Weekend themselves. And, you know, to see how inspired young people were from that one moment just shows how important it is for us to be more visible uh, to, you know, the hockey community, because, you know, that was, that was one moment. We can create those moments more often if we had the proper platform to do so. And so that's what we're really working hard to create. And, you know, we're, we're getting there, but I think it's so important. You know, I've accomplished a lot of my individual goals and won a gold medal, but to leave this game better than when I entered it is, is truly the, the ultimate goal that any athlete should have is to, to pass that torch and to, to see the next generation fulfill their skates, their shoes, whatever it might be, because 
you know, that means you accomplished something. That means you've been successful in your sport. And I mean, you've all, you've just got this sense of, of mission to you where you really, like you, you can hear the passion and I, you've always lived it that you try to really tend to every garden you can touch. You try to leave your community in this game in a better place than when you found it. Mm-hmm. You know, how, what is, I guess, what do you ask of, you know, current NHLers? Like, how can we uh, in the men's game continue to help grow our game in general, grow the men's game, grow the women's game? How can we, um, you know, help you? Yeah, we're stronger together than we ever are apart. And, you know, I see it all summer long when I skate, you know, alongside you and and some of your friends. You know, you guys look at me and you see someone who's just trying to improve their craft, trying to work hard, trying to get better in the sport. You don't see me as, you know, this woman on the ice that's who knows what she's doing out here. She's out here because she belongs out here. And I think, you know, it together, you know, we need to continue to support each other. We need to continue to, um, you know, market each other. I think when you look at the WNBA draft the other night, it was, it was so awesome to see all the players welcome, you know, Sabrina Nescu to New York, whether it was mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, you know, and you saw LeBron James, you saw a lot of the, the NBA players, you know, highlighting what they saw in the draft and welcoming these superstars, these, these talented basketball players uh, to the league. And, you know, I hope one day we do have a sister league like that. And it is easier for you guys to find us, to support us, to see us, because that's part of the problem too, is, you know, I know you ask me all the time, well, what's going on? Where are you playing? What are you doing? It's not that easy to follow. So, you know, that's what we're trying to create that path. So it's a lot easier to follow. But I think um, at the end of the day, I think, you know, when we, when we support each other, you know, it, it, it really helps create validity and credibility to who we are as hockey players. And we saw that in the NHL all-star weekend when, you know, I skated and, and those players were, were talking to me, talking about me as a hockey player. That's it. And it, it created a sense of, of credibility to, to who I am as a hockey player. And so I think the more that we can continue to highlight each other's, you know, assets in, in this game, you know, the better off we are. Yeah. I think hockey as a whole is starting to really try to, um, you know, honor the attention of our audience, try and honor, you know, the people that love this game and continue to share. Like in general, hockey players tend to be a pretty private group. There is an element of tradition and, and just focus on the team and just focus on the sport that's so, um, you know, beautiful. But also I think, you know, we have a responsibility. Hockey is a game that's gifted. You know, you don't just kind of wander as a, you know, four to seven-year-old, whenever you start. I started at four or five. You know, you don't just start, uh, you don't put skates on your own feet and go wander on the ice. This game has to be gifted. This game has to be shared. You know, I think that's something I've always, you know, respected you for is you're, you really in the community that we live in, in, you know, in Orland Park, you know, where we're both from, you, whether it's through your camp, whether it's through uh, providing meals during COVID-19 from, you know, my wife's restaurant at Otimo to the Ronald McDonald house, like you just, you, you understand your importance to make your community better. And I guess as a, as a player, it's been so easy for me to want to support the women's game. Number one, I, I, I see the skill set, And like you said in the summer, that's really what it is. Hockey player to hockey player. We're just snapping the pill around. Like it, it, there's no differentiation. Um, and I think that there's just always been an, an immense level of respect at least in, in my opinion, like I've always so so intensely respected your level of preparation because I'm usually getting ready for a training camp that's like four months out. 
right? Like if I'm skating in May, it's because we're, we're playing in September, you know, but the ability for you, I think, to hold your focus over longer periods of time, just because of, you know, how, how long you can go between uh, international events mm-hmm. is so impressive. How, yeah. like, I, I imagine it served you well, you know, here on like quarantine as you're sitting at home. <laughs> it's, it's challenging. And I think it, it, it gives you a taste a little bit of, you know, what our daily uh, routine is like, uh, not knowing when the next event is or not knowing, you know, how far between events, you know, we were waiting. Um, I think when you look at this year alone for the women's international game, uh, we didn't play one tournament. Our first tournament was canceled due to the Swedish team boycotting and our second tournament was canceled due to COVID-19. And so, you know, thinking back to when we were together uh, playing in the CPHL Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, having, you know, having fun in that league, obviously preparing for our upcoming season, there's really two big international tournaments that the U.S. program looks forward to, and that's the Four Nations Cup and the World Championships. And neither of those were played this year for different reasons. But so, yes, you have to be intrinsically motivated uh, in women's hockey. And I think I even go back to uh, when you and I both were in were in high school, uh, Carl Sandburg High School. And, you know, your approach to the ne- making it to the next level was what's going to take me, you know, to the level of being in the National Hockey League. And, you know, you chose your route and obviously your route worked. And, you know, it hit me pretty hard in high school when I started going through the recruiting process. And, you know, obviously I want to go to a school where I'm going to win four national championships and be a part of the best hockey team I'm, I'm going to can be a part of. But then it hit me that, well, I, I can't make a living playing this game. You know, I, I need to go to the best school I can go to that's going to prepare me for life after hockey. That's going to prepare me to get a job that's going to support me and my future family. So what what you know, what is that answer? And to ask that of a 17 year old is a pretty challenging question. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day to have, to continue to have, you know, your support and elder support that, you know, I am a hockey player. It, it distracts me from the reality that, you know what, we're still continuing to fight to make a living playing this game. And even though I, I'm not doing that yet, you know, I, I hope to do it for the next generation. I'm going to continue to put the work in. So that changes. Well, and you are, you are the next generation's Cammy Granado. Like it mm-hmm. is, it is up to you and the, you know, um, the Jaina Heffords of the world, the, the, you know, gold medal, medal winners to really set the tone, you know, for the PWHPA and, and, and for your fellow women's hockey players. Like you guys have done a, a really nice job, at least in my, uh, you know, from my side of the fence, I, I follow as best I can, um, trying to come across as you're as a big supporter. Beautiful. We need more. I try, people. We need know? more people. We need more, we need more guys like you. That's for sure. And I, and I think guys, you know, I think so, sometimes we feel ill-equipped with like how best to support or the language mm-hmm. to use at the right time. And you don't want to uh, offend anybody. You know, there is the NWHL, you know, which, you know, is a different, you know, conversation. Um, but I think as, as men's hockey players, we recognize the talent in the women's game. We recognize the clarity of our dream growing up. You know, uh, we were always told if you're able to work hard and, and, you know, grow big and strong, like you want to play in the NHL, this is what you want to do. Uh, go out, be the most beastly athlete you can, you can become. And there was just clarity in that dream and in that mission. And of course, like as a 
someone, I, I, I live for a dream. I love dream. I, I, you know, I'm still dreaming even, even I'm, I just turned 26. Like I'm still dreaming about the quality of player I can be in the NHL. I'm still even dreaming for this podcast. What can I, what heights can I take it to, you know, during my career? What do I want to do after my career? Like, and I guess if I can help support the next generation, have a place for their live, their dream to live, you know, that would be, I, I would really take great pride in being able to be at play even a minute role in that. It's, it's so special. Well, I think you do play a huge role in that by what you do every day. And I think too, like there's still a lot of young girls and boys looking up to you and wanting to be you. And I don't think that it necessarily matters if a young girl's looking up to you and wanting to be you, but yet, you know, might not make it to the NHL, but still is pulling inspiration through your play and through who you are as a person. You know, they might be inspired to start a podcast one day. And I think, you know, that we, we've all been in, in that situation, whether it's, you know, how many young kids looked up and wanted to be Michael Jordan in our area, right? I know we're we a little- We gotta talk, because we just watched little, it last night. We're a little night. young, the, we're a little young, but how- last dance. Every street hockey game started with that Bulls intro. You know, you're a little kid, every little kid's throwing their tongue out of their mouth, shooting basketball hoops. And we were so young, but we didn't even understand the magnitude of, you know, what Michael Jordan accomplished. We knew he was the best, best athlete of all time. However, it's like so cool to see it come to real life and watch it every Sunday during quarantine. Well, and it just goes back to like, you know, what a gift it is to, uh, that he's sharing his story. And, you know, we have a responsibility to share our story because we don't know, you know, what that'll ignite in the next generation. We don't know what part of our conversation, you know, where there's a, a young boy or girl on the South side of Chicago that after our podcast grabs a hockey stick and goes shoot uh, 300 pucks on the driveway. Cause they want to, you know, you know, reach uh, our level of, of success. And, you know, I, I can't figure out if, it almost feels like we grew up in like the worst time in Chicago sports. Cause we just missed like Michael's, you know, <laughs> success. And then it was like a really long time before the Hawks, you know, got yep. good. It felt like, yep. um, you know, but I, I just got done talking about this with JVR. Cause he, he is a, he is a real, he, he's very respectful of both like the science of, of trying to be his best day in day out in the NHL schedule with, you know, he uses functional medicine and his different, you know, um, recovery techniques. He's also very artful. Like he, his, his niche in hockey, his ability to tip pucks, his ability to score net front is so unique. It almost like reminded me of, you know, Dennis Rodman, like a different way in that there's such an artful, and you talked about it earlier with playing your role, like at the highest level of team sport, like you're either three players, you're either the star the player that can play with the star and help them do what they do well, or the player that can shut down the star, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, I mean, I guess, what are you trying to learn from this, this documentary? Cause it's so well, it's so fascinating. Like I'm so grateful that, you know, it, it's released right now and I'm home every Sunday to watch it. Right. Oh, there's so many things I feel like I'm learning. Uh, I, I've turned to Michael, my husband, and I'm like, God, I love that quote. I love that quote. Oh, I love that. You know, it just, you just get fired up after watching it. And I think, you know, it's seeing all the attention to detail. It's, you know, waking up every day being 1% better. And that's something that we focus on with our national team and something that I focus on routinely. It's, you know, being 1% better and you pick it, whatever it wants, whatever you want it to be that day, get 1% better in that. Whether, you know, it was me running sprints this morning, my running technique uh, isn't the isn't the greatest. However, I get to and from pretty quickly. So, you know, I'm trying to work on that. And so it's like, okay, today I want to be a little bit better than I was last week running. So 
So, uh, I mean, I can't hold it. Like I've seen you sprint like for, for Connor, we run like I've hockey players. It, no, you run <laughs> all, like you're a, a, a good sprinter. I run like a bad running hockey player. Like it, I don't know what you're talking. About. I've seen you absolutely cook. I can move, but I think if I was more, if I had a better technique, I'd be a lot more efficient and faster. So just something to work on. But work I think, on. I don't know. I just think it's, it's even so cool to see, you know, all the footage at the United Center, knowing like you've walked through that building mm-hmm. and you recognize a lot of those, those places. And, um, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, a lot of people talk, talk about wanting to be great, wanting to be the best. And, there's really no recipe, but we're seeing it right now. And we're seeing it, you know, from Michael Jordan and, and there's a few others out there, but to see it, it's, that's why there's, there's very few because there really is no recipe because, because the recipe is, is nearly impossible. It's so deep down inside someone that it, it can't be written out and, and handed off to somebody else. Well, so, you know, with everything you've been able to accomplish in your game, you do rely on your speed and skating you know, to, to have success at the international level and hopefully soon at the professional level. Again, I know you've played professional, but you know, for, yep. for what's next for women's hockey, what are you most focused on right now in your, in your personal game to, to bring to the next level? Like what's your, what's your new goal, I guess, for your, for your own personal game? I think it, I continue to always work on using my speed effectively because it's easy to skate north and south, east and mm. west. It's easy to, to be fast, but I think it's, it's a lot harder than people realize to be effective with your speed and to use your change of speed, change of direction uh, efficiently and effectively. And so, you know, working on that and also just controlling the puck, keeping the puck on my stick a little bit longer than I'm used to. I'm definitely more of a passer than a shooter. Mm. And so it's sometimes it's, you know, mixing it up and, and being a little bit more patient uh, with the puck. And I, I think that's, you can never be patient enough with the pass. I, I think it was interesting. You said it's really easy to be fast because I'm not sure I have the same relationship with speed <laughs> that you do. Uh, I've always been a good skater, but I don't think I've, I'm in the top percentage like you are in, in, in your game. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, especially here on, on quarantine time, like I've really tried to like do a lot of video work and see, you know, where I was. It's so easy to get caught up in the 82 game schedule, like of, of, you know, you're focusing on what your coach wants. You're focusing on, you know, trying to, you know, if you played well yesterday, you're trying to play that way again. If you played poorly yesterday, you're so focused on bouncing back. Uh, but I've honestly watched like old clips, even clips from junior to, to see, you know, what, was, what did I used to do at the offensive blue line that I've maybe lost a little bit of touch with? Or what, what areas of the ice do I think I could take more risk in? What areas of the ice are, is not worth the risk? And, you know, I've been trying to ask that question of all the hockey players I have on just because it's interesting to listen to. You know, you, you've been at the top of your game now for so long, um, but there's always, there's always a new toy. There's always something new that you can continue to develop on. Yeah, and I think as an elite athlete, if if you're satisfied with who you are as a player, you're not elite. I don't think elite athletes are ever satisfied with who they are in their respected sport because you're always hungry to get better. You're always hungry for more. And I think that's, that's the case. I know it's the case for you. It's the case for me. Mm. You know, it's the case for most uh, high level athletes that I know it's you're, you're always hungry to get better. You're never satisfied. How do you make room, honestly, for this at home? Because I'm curious, you you and Michael both being high performers, both being professional athletes, 
you know, how do you guys manage each other's schedule and, and sort of like genius time, let's call it like, let's say Michael thinks it's his time to ride the bike and you think it's your time to ride. Like, how do you guys manage that right now? We have one bike and one set of dumbbells. So we make it work and whether it's, you know, structuring a workout so there's not much rest and you know one's on the bike one's off the bike or you know we run side by side when we're running uh, outside and so we're managing it but we we always work out together we have mm -hmm. for the last six years so um actually this time it's it's been nice to have a workout partner because yeah. usually he would be off at football right now so um you know this is this is bonus time for us to be able to work out and it, it helps me tremendously because a lot of people in the women's hockey world uh we spend a lot of time by ourselves uh, a lot of time on the ice alone a lot of time in the weight room alone so i appreciate every every moment i get to to work out with someone especially him because you know there's days during this quarantine where we wake up and you know we used to love our basement and hang out in our basement but now it's like oh you walk down you see that aerodyne bike you want to walk right back up yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've definitely found a way to keep motivating each other pushing each other and you know i i appreciate him so much because you know similar to your approach to to me as an athlete he has that exact same approach that mm -hmm. i'm just trying to get better you know for my sport and you know even though i don't make as much money as he might make in his sport he knows mine is equally as important and mm -hmm. and my preparation and, and my process is as important as his so uh, we respect each other i don't think we fight for whoever who's going on the bike first <laughs> yeah it's not yeah it's a Noah's goals kind yeah, of thing yeah um you, you know what so we talked a lot about, you know, the importance of having a dream and having a role model. What advice do you have uh, to young girls in particular right now who may be listening and, and young boys? I think, you know, we both can learn, you know, so much from each other and, and how we have, have pursued our, our respective goals. But what advice do you have out there as, as young boys and girls build their dreams? I would say always follow your dreams and believe in yourself. And especially when there's people who don't believe in you, believe in yourself even more um, and and stay true to who you are. Work to be the best version of yourself every day. And, you know, there were many times when, you know, people tried to take me out of hockey and told me I don't belong in hockey. But my love and my passion for the game was so far greater than anyone's negativity, anyone's noise, anyone's, you know, comment to to cut my hair and tell me to go play sports at normal girls play they had no idea the love and passion i had for the game and so besides you know believe in yourself always follow your dreams and i would say no matter what you do in life whether it's sports or art or, or music etc always do it with love and passion because you'll never work a day in your life you know if you love what you do and you have a passion for what you do you can really reach the pinnacle of whatever you're doing beautiful and then you know, one, I guess one other question I've been asking um, all of our guests is, is we are on quarantine right now. You know, what in the world um, is lighting you on fire right now to talk about? I talk about, you know, a couple different ways of, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned for, not concerned, but I'm really rooting people to try and do the best they can with their mental health out there. You know, JVR, we talked a lot about the last dance and just, you know, for him right now, he's really trying to study how to apply some of those lessons. Um, you know, what's something that's really been speaking to you? What's been a thought on your mind a lot lately? You know, some days have been easier than others. And I know this is the same situation for you. This is definitely the longest I've been off the ice uh, mm -hmm. since I was three years old when I started playing hockey. Um, but so, th you know, that's been challenging, but I, but I, what I, what is really 
um, spoken to me was uh, I saw Drew Brees post this and, and during tough times, I've really, um, I've really gone back to it and I've read it and it speaks to me. It's, he, he said, I think that when the dust settles, we will realize how little we need, how very much we actually have and the true value of human connection. And I think it's really just taking this time and, you know, you know, spending it with my husband, my, with my parents, with his parents, um, and, you know, just trying to uh, engage with our loved ones and especially in a time where uh, we're not used to having. And, and I think, you know, before we end, I, I think a lot of credit is, is you know, deserved and, and appreciation to all the healthcare workers, the essential workers, and all of those that are on the front lines, because, you know, we're, we're people who get to stay inside mm. to hop, to help stop the spread. However, there are people on the front lines who don't have that opportunity. They're the ones, you know, really fighting this disease. So I think, you know, thanks to them, we're able to have that time and that human connection in a safe space in our house. So Kendall, I know, you know, you, you do take your role as a leadership, as a, as a leadership member in our community. So importantly, like, uh, you, t- you talked about how important the camp for Cambridge Granado was for you. Mm-hmm. And now I know you're running your own camp at Arctic Ice Arctic I know you do a fantastic job. You do a lot of work to align yourself with sponsors and you got nutritionist seminars, like talk a little bit about, you know, what you're trying to do with, uh, your hockey camp there in Orland. Yeah, so I remember uh, back when I was seven and I walked into Cami Granado's hockey camp and it was right after the Olympic Games and there were over 100 girls there. And I just remember being one, confused and two, excited. Confused because all the people to that moment in my life told me girls don't play hockey. And I was like, there's over a hundred. Where are all you from? (laughs) This is amazing. Yeah. And and it's crazy when you look back, some of the players that were there were, you know, named Hillary Knight, Brianna Decker, uh, Molly Schaus, you know, all Olympians. Like everyone wanted to be a part of it because we all heard the same narrative as a kid. And so, you know, that really fueled me and my hockey career and really fueled me to believe in myself in this game because this game was meant for me, you know? And so, um, you know, remembering that feeling I had when I was seven, you know, it still stays with me to this day. And so as soon as I graduated from Northeastern University, my first goal was to start my own hockey camp because obviously you can't use your name uh, for a hockey camp while you're in school because the NCAA mm-hmm. rules. So, um, you know, the summer I graduated, that was the first uh, Kendall Coin hockey camp. And we're going on year five and I'm super excited. And, you know, a lot of people have asked, well, why don't you take your hockey camp to different parts of the country and do multiple camps? And one, for those who have been to the Kendall Coin Hockey Camp, know it's my family that's running it. It's it's just like it's been my whole career. It's, it's a family effort, whether my brothers are on the ice and my mom's running the front desk and, you know, my dad's taking pictures and Michael's the off-ice coordinator and my sister, you know, is, is a camp instructor. It's it's a family. It's, it's my family. And so mm-hmm. to ask my family to go to different places is challenging. And then two, and what I think is the most important factor is that I bring kids to the Arctic Ice Arena because that's where I grew up. That's where I put my my first pair of skates on and that's where the my love for the game started and I want to show them that 
you know, no matter where you're from, you can accomplish your dreams too, whether it's going to the Olympic Games, playing college hockey, or whatever it is. Like, this is where it started for me. On this rink, I was stomping on the ice with a walker and picking up stuffed animals. This is it. This was it for me. And so I really love to bring the girls into this environment to show them, you know, this is my home. And, you know, I think there's nothing more welcoming to someone you don't know than inviting them into your home. And to me, the Arctic Ice Arena, formerly known as the Orland Park Ice Arena, was definitely my home away from home as a kid. So I'm really excited. I hope this fifth year happens. Obviously, there's a lot of unknowns right now, but we're expecting over 100 girls from coast to coast and for three days uh, in July. And it, it's a it's a three days, fun-filled days, you know, nutrition lecture, like you mentioned, on and off ice, uh, you know, test or don't, don't put testing. Just, yeah, good. We you Go on. <laughs> and I, I mean, you know, I think there's something, uh, there's something special about recognizing like the walls you're in, you know, it's a, it's a cool feeling when you know that greatness was born here, you know? So I, I totally understand, um, you know, why you'd want to keep it at Arctic and that, that rink was special to both of us. You know, we grew up there. Uh, we both, you know, we stick kennel in those hallways when we shouldn't, we, <laughs> you know, ask coaches for I extra ice time. And Right here, 18 stitches, sharks and minnows. Son of a gun. How about that? <laughs> what a great game, Sharks remember, and Minnows. Remember the back where the... From, was it from one of the kids? Or you're talking about when you were young? No, when I was young at the Orland Park Ice Arena in the back. Do you remember how they had those old booths? Yep, the big white yep, booths? Yep. We were playing Sharks and Minnows. I probably didn't know how to tie my shoes, to be honest. <laughs> and I was running to get away from the shark, and someone stepped on my shoe, and I smoked the bench. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, I miss it. I, uh... I always, I do love that feeling like of going back in the summer um, and, and skating there. I don't know. It takes me back, you know, it takes me back to four or five, 10 years old, trying to, trying to live the dream. Yeah. Well, when you're, you know, in season doing your practices with your team, I'm usually there by myself at six, seven, eight AM. So it, some things haven't changed for me. Uh, well, I mean, that's <laughs> honest to God. That's why every summer I, I see, I try to text you like, Hey, I've got ice here. If you're, if yeah. you're looking for stuff, just. You know, cause it is lonely. Like it's a lonely path, to, you know, to the top sometimes. I, I know that gets yeah. overplayed and, and, you know, it, I guess, you know, there really are three sort of uh, groups of people that, you know, listen to this podcast. One is, is, you know, um, young athletes, kids. And then two is like uh 20 somethings trying to do something, you know, people our age kind of out of college looking for the next thing. And then I do get a lot of uh, questions from, you know, heads of family, parents, moms, dads. What do I do with my kid? How do I help expose them, you know, to what you maybe had as a, as a kid? And, you know, it's interesting when you, when you, you know, talk about all the uh, high-end talent that's come out of those Cami Granado camps. You know, that's, that's one of the things I really would recommend if you're a parent out there. Can you facilitate, like, with your youth teams, with your young players, a community where they can all sort of practice at each other's house and, you know, take turns at whose house they, you know, wreck the walls and playing shinny and, and, you know, uh, encourage this sort of, uh, development because as a kid, there's so many pulls on your attention now with video games and, and school requirements. And I get that. Uh, but if you can have a little community where like, there's just, I don't know, anywhere from four to 10 players. Like I was lucky. I played on, um, Dave Gus team. So Dave, is a player, you know, who's playing in the American Hockey League last year and his dad owned Arctic Ice Arena. 
So, you know, we always had, um, you know, access to, you know, whether it was extra ice in the summer or, you know, I just kind of tagged along with Dave and just tried to always see what he was doing. I had some, uh, some coaches invite me to whether they were, you know, older kids practice. Like I know you used to practice with the boys still sometimes when you, you know, started playing uh, girls hockey and just, if you can find a, a community and a way to kind of get some extra out of this game, like that's what I always recommend for, for development, really for, for profession, professional hockey. And then I don't say like push it down your kid, but if your kid is hungry for more, you know, that's, that's a, a good way to foster that growth. But I think too, going off that it's super important that young kids are playing multiple sports. I, 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 I couldn't believe in that more. I think if you watch the NFL draft uh, this past weekend, you saw how many sports that those guys were playing and playing it at high levels as well. And so I was, when I was a kid, I was playing basketball, track and field, softball, baseball, uh, and obviously hockey. And I didn't stop playing softball until after my sophomore year of high school. And I would have loved to play all the four years at Sandberg, but uh, I had to pick one because of the, the conflicting time commitments. But I think too, if, if parents aren't able to afford hockey camps and aren't able to afford that extra, you know, skill session here or there, your kid can still make it to the top. You know, it's, it's within them. And, you know, besides the Cami Granado camp, I really wasn't doing many, uh, some Mm -hmm. camps in the summer, I was usually playing softball or baseball. And so I think, you know, for all the parents out there, you know, it's okay if you, you, you can't make all of those extra, you know, commitments that a lot of kids are doing these days. And I hope you encourage your kids to do multiple things because I think each sport prepares you in a different way. Each sport teaches you a new lesson that goes beyond the field and the ice. And, and you get to meet so many different types of people and, and you have a a diverse background by playing different sports. And so I think that's really, really important. And, you know, a lot of my best friends have come from multiple sports. So I think that's really I, important. I, I totally agree. And I, I, I talked about that. I talk about that with a lot of parents who, you know, call me and ask me, you know, their kids 12, 13, and, you know, they get my number from my dad or whatever. And they want to talk about, you know, do they want to play baseball or not? Number one, all like every other sport will lend itself um, to hockey really well. Like all sports make you better at other sports for the most part. And also, you know, there's something to be said for like Kendall, what would have happened if at 12 years old, you said you love basketball and you had to pick that and you would have grown up to be five, two, like what, but if you play hockey, you've got a chance to, to be really high end, you know, it's just like in the last dance, some like, people would bend you know, to differ, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like uh Scotty Pippen, right? Like imagine, you know, he left basketball too early and he, and he grows all, you know, to, to be the size he became in school in in college. So I, I just, I don't know. I get nervous when, when athletes get so specialized so early now, I know it's grown common. I know there's a, like the birth of hockey schools and it's hockey, you know, 365, but you know, I I just, you know, when you go to a buffet, right. You eat until you get full and and then you usually feel sick and you leave, you know, and I feel like hockey's become this buffet for a lot of kids where it's like, they just, parents are, are giving so much access. They're giving, uh, you know, there's so much ice time available there. There it's 365 days a year. Like I'm a professional and I have a hard time being as excited when I show up to rank 365 days a year. 
No, you can't. And especially you as can't. a kid, you have to you have to get out of the rink. You have to take those skates off. You have to do something else. Whether you can be rollerblading outside and and playing, you know, shooting pucks in your backyard. You know, you can do you can still do hockey, but you have to get out of the rink. You have to have a change of scenery, and you have to stay hungry for the game. And I think that's what totally I appreciated agree. from my childhood was my parents never said you have to go to the rink. It was always when can I go to the rink? When can I go to the rink? And when I was playing softball and when I was playing baseball, there was never it was, I never asked them, well, can I go to the rink too? You know, I knew that I had the opportunity to play softball or baseball at this time. And that's what I was going to do. Mm. And then when that ended, I'm like, can I go to the rink? Yeah, <laughs> and, so, right. and so I was hungry again. I was in, and trust me, when I was playing softball and baseball, I was still shooting pucks. I was still, you know, right. hockey was always, you know, on my mind. I, it was a sport that I really gravitated to. That's what I loved the most, but I still really loved, you know, baseball and softball. And so I would, you know, I would do both. And I'm very thankful that my parents allowed me the opportunity to do both. And I know that's challenging for some, but with four kids, we, we kind of did what each other did. So whether my brother was baseball, I was baseball and you know, whatever we were doing, we were doing collectively. So I think it's, it makes, it, it makes it, it made it, it made it for a real fun childhood. That's for sure. Well, it all, and it just makes you a better player. Like I, I, you know, played baseball at a decently high level. And like, I always felt it helped my hand eye as a, as a hockey player tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember, I think it was in seventh grade. I played one year of, uh, of football, you know, and I really f- learned how to take contact and how to brace and how to, uh, I was playing quarterback. So, you know, how to pivot really and, and, and defend. Um, and it, and it lended itself well to hockey. And I think it was really important for my athletic, you know, careers growth. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, and a lot of fans and a lot of kids look up at us and go, you know, wow, look at the athletes at the highest level. They only play hockey. That's what I should do. And it's like, just because this is what I do now, it doesn't mean that's how I got here. Right. Uh, there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope, I hope, you know, parents listening that really consider uh, and think long and hard before, you know, you begin to pull your kid out of every other sport. And of course, you know, there are, there are time demands or financial demands to, you know, what, uh, you know, parents have their kids in. I don't know everyone's situation out there, but I just know from an athletic background perspective, I think it's something I can't recommend enough. Mm-hmm. I've always rooted your success on from a young age. I, 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 players, no players. I always knew you were an elite player. It was just a matter of time to see your success with, you know, USA hockey. And, and, you know, I root for, you know, many more gold medals in 2022 and 2026 and, you know, so on and so forth. But I want to commend you for, I've been so proud of the way you've handled um, the torch, you know, really since that NHL All-Star weekend to continue the growth of the game, to continue to use your platform and, and your name to spread good. Like you're, you're such a source for, for passion and for, for hard work and to allow people uh, to create clarity around their commitment because you embody that day in, day out, and you share a little bit of insight, you know, through your social media channels and things like that. Um, you know, thank you for really being the leader you have been around rinks that we both grew up in, you know, in Orland Park where, you know, we're both from. How can people um, get in touch with you? How can people give to, you know, your charities and you're extremely involved in our community? Mm -hmm. Um, Where can people best find you? Yeah, I think, you know, 
whether it's through my social media channels, my website, kendallcoin.com, um, or the you can always give at the Schofield Family Foundation. That's the foundation my husband and I started a little over a year and a half ago. And um, we have five focus areas of the foundation, and those were all areas that really spoke to us. Um, those are military, first responders, youth sports organizations, families in need, uh, and education. Uh, we're actually giving away the scholarship, the second annual Schofield Family Foundation scholarship tonight uh, to Carl Sandburg, uh, Carl Sandburg High School senior student athlete, which is really exciting. Unfortunately, done virtually, uh, but we're mm-hmm. excited to continue, um, you know, that legacy and give that scholarship away. And um, so we've been doing a lot of work through our foundation, and that's really during this time we've we've spent a lot of time on that. And uh, like you said, uh, provided you know sixty thousand meals to uh, you know the Greater Chicago Food Depository, and just trying to help those in need because you know this is a time where there's so much need and there might not be a, a time where there's greater need in our lifetime than, than right now. And so uh, we've been trying to take all of the resources that we have within the foundation and, and help those in need. And so, you know, either, you know, Schofield Family Foundation is, is ours. It's schofieldfamilyfoundation.com. Um, but there's so many phenomenal organizations out there that are, are in need of assistance. So um, I would encourage people to to seek those places. I think there's a lot of need at the local food pantries. Uh, Michael and I volunteered our time uh, at those places. You know, you have to be able to lift a lot of weight, not have been exposed to COVID-19, um, you know, and so... I think they are in need of helping box these meals mm. for families. So, you know, any, any, there's a lot of need out there. And so if you're able to, to give, that's great. And, and I think too, I encourage people to remember those people that really helped you in time of need and to go back and see if they're, in, they're in need right now, because there's a good chance that they are. And so whether it's your, your favorite pizza shop or, you know, a, a business that sponsored an event, you know, really look to them because they were there when you, when you needed assistance. So um, we're just trying to do our, part and and you know encourage others to be involved in the community and and to to give back and it's been that was a goal of ours ever since uh you know that was like the second on the list after getting from getting married it was start a foundation so um it's been it's it's been extremely rewarding process and um yeah we're gonna keep working at it and hopefully our golf outing this summer takes place but you know we're not sure yet yeah i mean kendall i hope i hope at some point you know, you've been able to pause your, um, you know, with the world a little bit, you know, at least the hockey world on pause that, you know, I hope you take some time to reflect on. And I, and I notice how humble you are as a person, but you, I hope you're proud of yourself. Like the, the way you've always been able to um, serve yourself so you can serve others from a position of, of strength uh, is so admirable. You've, you've been a great role model to me and all uh, young athletes, hockey players or not, uh, you know, boy or girl, um, you know, I've, I've really appreciated yours and, and Michael's friendship and I wish you guys all the best, you know, as our careers, hopefully, you know, continue here in the not so distant future. But, uh, I really hope you, you understand just how powerful and, and I hope you feel proud of your efforts. Cause it's, it's really been, um, it's been special to watch you to continue to grow as a leader. And, you know, I, I, uh, I just hope you're proud of yourself. Likewise, Connor and to Lexi as well. And Hoagie. And, and Hoagie, it, yeah. yeah, but yeah it's, I'm it's, not sure. Did you hear him snoring a little bit ago? He was dreaming and he started kicking and stuff. But it's it's pretty cool to, 
to be a part of this podcast. It's crazy to think between you, myself, and Michael, we were all little kids running around Humphrey and Centennial, and mm-hmm. and whether it was the rinks, you know, in Orland Park or roaming the halls of Carl Sandburg, and we we all accomplished our dreams. And I think that is proof to all kids out there. It doesn't matter where you come from, you know, you can reach your you can reach your dreams if you have you know the courage to work for them. And I think you know all three of our paths really were different, but you know prove that we can make it to the top, and and we did. And you know we're just we're just three kids from you know local suburb of of Illinois, and um, here we are. So it's it's been pretty cool to share that connection um, from a sports level, and obviously a friendship level is a whole nother thing. But appreciate you you know all the support that you've shown the women's game. Kendall, thank you for that. You know, and again, if there's any way I can continue to help, you know, I'm so excited to see you going to broadcasting. I think you're going to be excellent there. You have been excellent. I'm excited to see your growth. Um, you know, and I think just having that visibility of of women around the, the men's game will lend itself, you know, to when the women's game is able to take off professionally. Um, you know, just just keep being the light you are in the world. I'm 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 so excited to see what's next for you. Uh, and stay safe, stay healthy, you know, in this time and, and continue to take care of your family. But I, I look forward to, you know, hopefully we able to get together soon and, and, you know, have some ribs out back like you promised. But uh, <laughs> I want to see if this Michael, you know, if he knows what he's doing on this on this Traeger, he claims he's he's got down pat. So he does. He does. But yeah, I hope so, too. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And I look forward to whoever your next guest is. Absolutely. Thanks, Kendall. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening, wherever you may be in the world, whatever you're doing today. Uh, thank you for spending your time here today with uh, Kendall Coyne Schofield and myself. She is truly an exceptional individual. I'm so excited to see how her career progresses, what she does with the PWHBA, how she continues to fare as one of the best players in U.S. women's hockey. Uh, also has a, uh, a master's degree from Northeastern, which we didn't talk about today. She is into broadcasting currently. What a well-rounded individual, truly Always enjoy our time together. I look forward to uh, trying to hopefully once quarantine's over, get together with her and her husband and 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 throw down. But again, thank you for listening. I truly, uh, you know, continue to ask for all likes, subscriptions, um, shares with with mom, dad, with your men's league team goes a long way in supporting our growth here with this podcast. I really enjoy uh, some of the conversations I get to have here each and every week. I know I'm learning a lot about myself about my guests, and I, and I hope you are too. Thank you for joining us. Uh, please continue to show your support.